0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous
1: few programs I've been talking about the existence of God and that there are many people who struggle with the evidence that is presented to them concerning the existence of God and one of the reasons why they struggle with this evidence is because they do not want to let go of certain sins that they might have in their lives. This is one of the issues that people are faced with is that they really enjoy their sin and they don't want to let go of it. They don't want to acknowledge that it's wrong, that it's evil. They don't want to be judged for that sin. They don't want to seek for forgiveness for that sin because they want to keep doing it. And so they will reject the existence of God even in light of... A lot of evidence that shows that He is. They will reject His existence because they do not want to let go of their sin. But there's a reason why they sin, and that reason is because they don't know their God. If they knew their God, and if they trusted and rested in Him, if they lived with the reality of who He is, and they lived with what He has to offer them, then it would fulfill the deepest needs of their hearts in such a way that sin would have no real appeal. And so people sin because they want to, but the reason why they want to is because they do not know the Lord and they do not rest in what he has for them. They do not live on the basis of what he has given to them already. So you have this scenario which is very similar to the chicken and the egg scenario, which is going to come first. Are they going to know their God so that they let go of their sin, or are they going to be willing to let go of their sin so that they can know their God? Which is going to come first? And people approach this in different ways. It's sort of like saying that you can start with the egg or you can start with the chicken as long as you get started. People can acknowledge the existence of God and recognize that their sin is evil and begin to pursue a relationship with Him in that way, or They can pursue their God in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their struggles, and eventually they can grow to understand and appreciate and live on the basis of what he has given to them, and then eventually that sin will dissipate within their lives. So it can happen either way in an individual's life. We can start with either the chicken or the egg. We can start with the relationship with their God or with the rejection of sin. Either way, people can still approach him and begin to have a relationship with him. But in the midst of that, this is a barrier. This is one of the barriers that people wrestle with and why they will reject his existence because they don't want to let go of their sin. Now, when I encounter people like this, I will normally try to reach them. But the way that I usually approach these individuals with the message of the gospel is by approaching them in the context that what they are pursuing that what they are relying on, that their sinfulness is not enough, that it is not truly satisfying them in the way that they have a need to be satisfied, that while they are pursuing certain sins that they do not want to let go of, those sins are not fulfilling them. They are not meeting the deepest needs that they have. I can approach an individual in this context, and I can suggest to them that they consider their God. That they consider His existence. Because what they have right now, while they may not be willing to let go of it, they should at least acknowledge that it is not enough. That it is not what meets the deepest needs that they have. And I believe that our God has created us in such a way that these things will never meet our needs. That these sins will never satisfy the depths of our being. He will not allow that to be the case because He will always continue to direct us to Him. Because until we die, we will always wrestle with this emptiness. And this wrestling that people experience is important because this inadequacy that the world has for our hearts is what directs us to the one who has made the world, to the one who has made us, to the one who has made all things. So people sin because they don't know him, but they also don't want to know him because they are afraid that they might have to let go of their sin, and this is a struggle that people deal with. Now, I wanted to emphasize the importance that God will always direct us to him, that he will always reach out to us. I wanted to emphasize that point because sometimes verse 24 can be misunderstood, the same as verse 28. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. In verse 28, it says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. He gave them over. Now, many times people read verse 24 and 28, as if he gives them over, but he is never going to call to them again. He gives them over in some way that they are now going to be lost, they are going to go to hell, and between today and the day that they die, he is never going to reach out to them ever again. There are many people who really believe that. I wanted to mention that because it is a predominant belief in Christianity today, I personally do not believe that that is what is said here, that that is what he was intending to say. What I read in verses 24 and 28 is that he is allowing people to reject him. He is allowing people to believe whatever they want to believe. He is allowing people to pursue sin if that's what they want to pursue. It doesn't mean that he's not going to continue to reach out to them. It means that he is going to allow them the freedom to engage in evil. He is going to allow them the freedom and the ability to pursue that. But again, to me, that does not mean that just because he gives them over, that he's not going to continue to reach out to them. I don't believe that that is what is implied here. But there are many people who do believe that. It is my belief, it's my opinion, that the reason why people believe that is because they have failed to reach out to some individuals. And to me, it's sort of like an excuse to no longer speak to them anymore It's an excuse to no longer witness to them, to no longer put any time or effort into trying to reach out to them. Now listen, I can appreciate the value and the importance of coming to a point where you no longer speak to someone about the living God. I understand that, and I certainly do encourage that on occasion, but I don't do so because of people's sins. I don't do so because of certain sins that this person, that these individuals might be engaged in. I encourage evangelists, I encourage Christians to stop telling people about their God because that individual has made it clear that they have no interest in their God, not because of the sins, but because of the rejection that a person expresses. And so I'm not really concerned with one sin or another sin. I'm concerned about the condition of an individual's heart. And so I encourage others to make their decisions about how much witnessing they're going to engage in, how much evangelism are they going to engage in, how much time are they going to be willing to put in to an individual based on their receptiveness, based on how much they are really willing to hear what they are willing to listen to, what they are willing to consider. That is how I make those decisions, and so I encourage others to make decisions in a similar way. So, considering this, I do turn people over to their depraved minds, and there are many people who I will never again speak to myself. But I don't believe that that was what was intended to be said here. I don't believe that our God expressed this through the Apostle Paul to give us an excuse to no longer speak to people. I don't need an excuse. I can make a decision and just simply say, I'm not going to talk to these people about the gospel anymore. I'm going to turn them over to their depraved mind. I can do that on my own. I don't need verses in the scriptures like these to pick out and to use to justify my absence in certain people's lives. I do believe that other people may be sent by the Lord to speak with them and that he will continue to reach out to them even though he has turned them over in such a way that if they want to continue to reject him they can but I don't believe that that automatically means that he is no longer going to pursue them that to me would be inconsistent with other things that I know that are revealed in the scriptures that are absolute when it comes to his purpose here what he is doing here the message of the gospel and the fact that he is always reaching out to people and that people always start out in one way or another in a condition of having a depraved mind. And he doesn't turn everyone over to that extent. And so do not be confused by this. Everyone has a depraved mind in their own ways because of the sins that they struggle with, because of the emptiness in their hearts. And so there's no reason to single out certain sins and say that those are beyond the reach of God. For example, in Romans chapter 1, verse 26, it says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error." This is talking about what people refer to as homosexuality. Now, I personally have trouble using that term because from a scientific point of view, the word sexuality refers to reproduction, and there's no reproduction that's taking place here whatsoever. So I have a difficult time using that term. But what I can say is that this kind of behavior where men engage with men and women engage with women in such a way that is inconsistent with how God created them is considered to be sin, and it is considered to be a representation of an individual who has a depraved mind. If you have any problem with me saying that, then that's fine. Just consider that to be my opinion, my belief. That's how I look at things. That's how I see these particular acts. If you want to argue with someone, argue with God. Argue with the scriptures. Argue with what the Apostle Paul wrote. Argue with the law of Moses that our God gave through Moses on Mount Sinai, that we can read clearly in the scriptures that this is sin. But this is not the only kind of sin. That's why I spend so much time talking about the depravity within an individual and that these sins are manifestations of the emptiness of a person's heart. But this is not the only sin. There are a lot of people who will spend a lot of time talking about this sin and how evil it is and talking about the different ways that this manifests in an individual's being in their lives in such a way that these indecent acts will cause them to receive in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And they talk about all kinds of things like disease and poor relationships and other kinds of results that people will often experience when participating in these kinds of things. But I'm not concerned about that. What I'm concerned with is the emptiness of an individual's heart, and these are not the only ways that the emptiness is expressed within an individual. Keep reading. It's important to keep reading, because if you continue to read, you can read in verse 29 things like, Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and then in verse 32 it says, and although they know the ordinance of God and those who practice such things are worthy of death... They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So there are many more sins that are referred to at the end of Romans chapter 1 than just these sins that people like to focus on with regards to sexuality. There are other sins, and they are put in the same category, in the same classification of an individual who has a depraved mind, who is worthy of death. But for some reason, people don't want to consider these other sins. They want to focus on these. Now, I understand that because there are some sins that some people struggle with, and there are other sins that other people struggle with. You will probably notice that non-Christians, that people who are not Christians, often struggle with sins that we would consider to be sexual in nature. But those who are Christians, while some of them do struggle with those sins too, Those people who are Christians tend to be better known for sins such as gossiping, envy, unloving. How about those sins? You see, regardless of the sin that is expressed within a person's life, regardless of whether they are religious or non-religious, whether they acknowledge the existence of God or they don't acknowledge the existence of God, regardless of any of these things, sin is still sin, and it doesn't matter what sin it is. It is still a sin and it is still worthy of death. And I want to emphasize that because I want to say that in the context of Romans chapter 1, inappropriate relationships between men and women, or men and men and women and women, inappropriate relationships are just as bad as gossiping, are just as bad as being unloving, are just as bad as being untrustworthy, are just as bad as being without understanding. How about that one? You are an individual who is without understanding. And because of that, you are just as evil, you are just as sinful, you have a depraved mind, and it is just as depraved as an individual's mind who is engaged, or an individual who is engaged in inappropriate relationships. That's what I want to point out. Now, we can look at some of these things and consider them. Things like Romans chapter 1, verse 29, where it says, being filled with all unrighteousness. More specifically, greed. How about that one? Greed. Do you know anybody who's greedy? An individual who is greedy is an individual who has a depraved mind. How about envy? Do you know anybody who's envious? Envious perhaps of somebody else as a person or perhaps because of their possessions. Envy, how about deceit, deceitfulness, or even gossip? These are indications that an individual has a depraved mind. And the reason why they have a depraved mind and the reason why these are characteristics that are manifested within an individual, that these are sins that are manifested within an individual, is because they are not acknowledging, first and foremost, the existence of God. Now, they may acknowledge the existence of God in some contexts, but what about in the context of these sins that they are manifesting? Now, when they are committing these sins, when they are engaged in these sins, they are generally doing so outside of their acknowledgement that God exists and that he is in their presence. You know, if a lot of people would consider the reality that God is in their presence, if they would really live acknowledging that God is with them, knowing that he is with them, a lot of these sins would not be committed. I mean, consider some of these gossip sessions that people have. You know, they sit down at a coffee shop or they sit down at their kitchen tables together Imagine how they would react. Imagine the things that they would say if they would acknowledge that God pulled up one of those chairs to sit down with them. I mean, if the living God was truly right there and they acknowledged his existence, his presence, would they be willing to say the things that they say? Would they be willing to have the attitudes that they have? Would they have their envious attitudes? Would they have their greedy attitudes? Would they be willing to express their gossip? Gossip is just simply talking about individuals, talking about people or circumstances that are true. If you go into verse 20, it starts out with the word slanderer. A slanderer, someone who is engaged in slander, is someone who is talking about things that are not true about other people. So gossip has to do with talking about things in people's lives that are true, and slander is talking about people and things in their lives that are not true. So regardless of whether the things that you are saying are true or not true, when you're talking about people, especially in this inappropriate context, you are engaged in either gossip or slander. You are showing that you have a depraved mind. And if you would just consider that God really exists, if you would consider that he is sitting down right next to you, Or he is right with you. He is with you and he is hearing everything that you have to say. If you would truly acknowledge that, I think it would change a lot of the subjects that you like to talk about. I think it would change a lot about how you would talk about other individuals, that you would instead be thinking about individuals in a loving manner, in a merciful manner, in a manner that would be more appropriate for a person who really believes that there is a God. And who really acknowledges their own depravity, their depraved mind, as it is manifested there for one thing, perhaps, but also that they struggle with their own sins. That, yes, it is true that people struggle with sin, but so do you. You struggle with sin also. And so I wanted to mention this in the context of these relational sins that many people are preoccupied with. And to say that those relational sins are not sins is definitely a denial of the truth. But to say that these other things like gossip and slander and envy are not sins is also a denial of the truth. How about verse 30 where it says, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. You know, when it comes to arrogance, I've often been referred to as someone who is extremely arrogant. Now, this, of course, depends on the context. I have found that when people agree with me, when they like what I am saying, When they believe that what I am saying is true, then they don't normally refer to me as arrogant. But as soon as I do say something that they don't like, as soon as I say something with conviction, with depth in my heart that they don't approve of, then I immediately become identified as arrogant. So I personally believe that it depends on whether you agree with an individual or not as to whether you're going to consider them to be arrogant or boastful inventors of evil? How about disobedient to parents? People don't really think about the importance of that. I know a lot of children who are definitely disobedient to parents. And this is not to necessarily place an accusation against the children who are disobedient to parents. How about the parents? Anybody ever want to consider the sin of the parents who will allow their children to be disobedient to them? Who will, in fact, Teach them to be disobedient to them because of their refusal to exercise the necessary judgment to prevent them from doing so. Listen, disobedient children are very easy to handle. You just simply need to understand that the reason why they are disobedient is because the pleasure of doing so is greater than the pain that their parents will inflict on them in the event that they are disobedient. And so they might as well go ahead and be disobedient. Now, I'm not trying to encourage you as a parent to find ways of inflicting pain on your children. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to the way that children resolve these matters, the way that they make decisions concerning what they are going to do or what they are not going to do. You need to understand this in order to address many of the behavioral challenges that children deal with. But disobedience is a very important issue that God has revealed as being sin. And it fits in the same classification, the same category as inappropriate relations that men may have with men and women may have with women. The same classification in the context of someone having a depraved mind. Now, I understand that parents resolve this in various ways. Many parents do things like refuse to require their children to obey them. They never have any expectations of their children. They never give them any real boundaries or rules, and so their children are never disobedient. That's one way that parents handle it. I'm not wanting to encourage you to do that. I'm just saying that this is one of the ways that people resolve these matters. How about verse 31, where it says, "...without understanding..." If you don't have understanding, then you are an individual with a depraved mind who is just as sinful, who is just as evil as these individuals described in verse 26 and 27 who have inappropriate relationships with one another, that it is just as evil that in verse 31 to have no understanding is just as evil and that if you do not have understanding, then you are an individual with a depraved mind. I want you to see this, not to feel condemned, but I want you to see this in order to put things in their proper context, in order to express the scriptures in the way that I believe the writer intended and in the way that our God wants us to see, that we are to see these things so that we can understand that everyone has a need for mercy, us as well, us especially, and that we need to turn to him because he is the only one, who will give us the understanding that we need. He is the one who understands things in the way that they truly are. And I sincerely believe that as we turn to him, he will show us the world through his eyes, and he will speak to us concerning what he hears in the world, and that this understanding is part of the relationship that we have with him. And if we will turn to him in this way, turn to Him for who He is and for what He has to offer, then He will do a work in our lives in such a way that we will not pursue these things, that we will truly turn to Him and we will acknowledge the value of who He is and what He has to offer, not because we are afraid of those things that are worthy of death, but because we know Him and we appreciate His existence and because we are thankful for who He is and for what He has given. Do not underestimate the seriousness of a person's need for acceptance. Do not underestimate that. Certainly when it comes to parents and children, parents are sometimes overwhelmed by their desire for their children to accept them. And because of that, they will not discipline their children, especially when it is necessary. But when it comes to relationships between other people in the world, there are other very important issues that a person needs to understand when it comes to these issues of sin and the desire for acceptance. In many cases, people will approve other people's sins. As an example, they will give approval to other people in the midst of the sins that they are engaged in because they want these people to approve of them in the midst of the sins that they want to continue to commit. People also have a secret desire to fail because most people fail. And if they want to be accepted by most people, then they have to fail in similar ways. And I will explain this in the next broadcast.